We are continuing in our study of the life and ministry of Jesus in an imperfect chronological order. Oftentimes when I bring one message one week and then another message the following week, there may be several days, weeks, or even months that pass between the two events. Today's message is going to follow up exactly after last week's message. So it's very close in chronological order. And we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 35, as we do this. And I'm also going to comment on a few things um, along the way uh, as it gives me opportunity. And so in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, it says this, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went to a secluded place and was praying there. That's kind of where we left the last week's message in a different um, gospel. And Simon, Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee. And so he is going through this circuit, if you will, throughout the northern district of Galilee, preaching, and then it also says, and casting out demons. Now, I believe that he cast out demons. Which is interesting because I've been taught by a Catholic priest and other people well, they're not really such things as demons. There are the demon of alcoholism and the de demon of drug addiction and the demon of anger and all of these demons. Well, as I read what Jesus does, I don't see him casting out alcoholism. Don't see him casting out poverty by giving people money. The reason that there are so many demons and Jesus is having to cast them out is because there is a spiritual battle happening at this point in history. It is God who has sent His Son to redeem the world, and that is the last thing that Satan wants. So he's going to take his people and his minions and his forces and do whatever he can to keep people from understanding the Word of God. The interesting thing is, is that the demons are the ones who say, I know who you are, and yet the ones that Jesus came to deliver don't so much know who He is, but they know what He does, and they're interested in getting what it is that He does. And so, while we may not see demons as active today, that's probably a bad thing. Because why send your forces out when you're winning anyway? And so I believe that Jesus, a part of his ministry was to preach, to heal, to teach the word, and to cast out demons. So call me a simpleton, but when the Bible says that that's what he did, I think that's what he did. Verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching or begging him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Now, to understand leprosy in this period of time, again, you'll have people say, well, this is not really leprosy, it's Hansen's disease, and they argue about this or that. Whatever the skin disease was, it was impactful, it was debilitating, both physically and psychologically, but it was also financially and socially. Because if you were determined to have leprosy, whether it's Hansen's disease or something else, you were then required to be cast out. It says cast out of the camp. or So in essence, you had to live in the unpopulated areas. You had to uh, avoid crowds. And when you were either coming towards somebody who was there or somebody was coming towards you, you were required to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people could avoid you, which meant you had very little or no social contact because nobody wanted what you had. It was a disease, but it was worse than that because it was a disease in which you were classified as unclean. So, for instance, if you had cancer, now they may not have known how to diagnose cancer, but if you had this illness, a fever, let's say, you weren't unclean, so people could minister to you and not be afraid of then going to synagogue or temple or being a part of the religious ceremonies. However, if you were touched a dead body or you came in contact with leprosy, you then had to do certain ceremonial aspects and then remove yourself for a period of time until you could then participate. So no one wanted to go through that, so they would avoid you. So you have this man, and we have no understanding of his background. We don't know how long he's had leprosy. We don't know how old he is. All we know is he sees Jesus, and he knows something, that Jesus can heal him and make him clean again. Now, I, I never have, don't ever want leprosy. I can identify with this guy. Why is it? Because I hear preachers and other TV talk about, well, if you just have enough faith, everything will be perfect. Financially, you'll be fine. You'll never get some of these diseases. Everything is just hunky-dory. And we kind of almost kind of let that kind of happen when we try to convince somebody that they ought to give their life to Christ. Oh, life is going to be so abundant. It's going to be so wonderful. You'll never have any problems until they have the first problem and go, wait a minute. I haven't found anywhere in the Scriptures where I am told I'll never get sick. I'll never die. As a matter of fact, there's only been two people in recorded biblical history who didn't die. Enoch was one of them. And Elijah was another. I am told to trust him. And so I believe this leper has genuine faith who understands. Because he says, you can make me clean. That Jesus has the power and authority to cleanse him and cure him of his disease. The question is, is Jesus willing? Which brings us to 
a teaching Jesus hasn't yet got to. When the disciples tell him, teach us how to pray, part of that prayer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This leper knows the cost that has been to his physical, emotional, and spiritual life to have this disease. That Jesus has the power and authority to heal him and cleanse him. But maybe it is not the will of God to do so. Because maybe it's the will of God to walk with him more in this condition. It may be that it is such that by continuing in this, he'll discover more about God and his wonders and his power. But the person, the leper knows, I, this is what I want. I want to be cleansed, if you're willing. And my view is that God has the power to do anything, even the impossible. He has the power and authority, but maybe it is not his will. Maybe I don't not trust him because he doesn't do what I ask, because there is a better reason for him not to do what I've asked. But you can see that this person beseeches, begeth, falls on his knees, imploring Jesus to do this. And the response tells us much of Jesus. Moved with compassion. You see, Jesus, because yeah, I have the power, I have the authority, he could have been detached. He could have simply said, be clean, and he was cleansed and everything would be fine. But Jesus understood this man's condition. Not just the illness. He was moved with compassion. And so often, we are not moved with compassion, even when we have the power and authority to do something. We just do it. But moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. A man who hasn't been touched for however long he's had this condition. Because he had this condition and everybody was afraid of getting it and were afraid of what it would mean even if they did it. But Jesus in his compassion touches the man and heals him. Because the Holy One of God can never become unclean. So his touch of the man doesn't make Jesus unclean. It makes the man clean. That is something we need to wrap our heads around. Jesus' participation in our lives doesn't affect him. It affects us. And said to him, I am willing. As soon as he touched him, the man would know he was willing. But he wanted to verbalize that. Because the man understood that Jesus had the power and authority. And all added to this, he was willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, not six hours later, 
Not 15 minutes later, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. You see, two things happened. He no longer was a leper and he now was clean. And he, being Jesus, sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to complete, to fulfill the law. So he didn't tell this man, well, I did this. Just be quiet and go on your way. He goes, no, go show yourself to the priest because that was the way the law pronounced it so that he would, in essence, have a clean bill of health so he could re-enter into society. But Jesus doesn't want him to spread any news how he was clean. Just go show yourself, offer the appropriate offerings. Now I find this ironic. Because we are told to go and declare the good news. We even have a Christmas song, Go Shout It on the Mountain. We are told to make disciples in all kinds of places, teaching them. And yet somehow we, after being commanded to do that, tend to be secret believers. Given the opportunity to share, we wonder whether we should, we have enough courage and boldness to do it, and we feel victorious if we say something. Jesus tells the guy to just be quiet, and he says so sternly. Now, for those of you who think Jesus is just meek and mild, when he gets up in your face, he's up in your face. And he sternly told this guy, be quiet, just do this. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. The guy he's told don't say anything goes and spreads the news everywhere that I was a leper, and he cleansed me. And this guy was so effective at disobeying Jesus that Jesus can no longer enter a city announced. He has to teach and preach in the unpopulated area. People have to come to him to hear him. So after doing that, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. Real quick thing, it says at home. Now it may mean at home in the sense of he's back at Capernaum, or it may mean he's actually at his house. I tend to think it's he's actually at his house, which kind of does away with the people who said that Jesus was homeless. Not even when he was born in Bethlehem was he homeless. They were there in Bethlehem from Nazareth because of the tax and the census. 
He then was in a house in Bethlehem. They then moved back to Nazareth, and then he moved his base of operation in Capernaum. Jesus was not homeless. He was on a mission. So he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, and not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. So he has a house ministry. He's teaching, and it's full. He's teaching the word. Notice Mark doesn't tell us exactly what he's teaching, but he's teaching the gospel, the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and they had dug an opening and they were letting down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now, these four men, as we will see, Jesus acknowledges, have faith. But what I see in this is how difficult they had to work. I have no how I don't have any idea how heavy the man was. It says he's a paralytic, so I'm going to assume he was probably couldn't walk. Because if he was a quadriplegic, in those days he probably wouldn't survive. So he was so he couldn't walk, so he had to be on a pallet. So he had to weigh something. Plus the pallet. Now these guys had carried him to the home, to the house. Couldn't get in. So then they had to, however high the roof is, at least seven, eight feet high, they had to get him up on the roof. They then says they had to dig because there was probably branches and tiles and different things. So they had to create a hole in the roof, which means these guys, there's no turning back. I mean, if you were the owner of the house, you would probably be not too happy that somebody just put a hole in your roof. But their love for their friend was more important than what people might think. And then after, dig, after getting him up on the roof, digging a hole, then they had to let him down safely. They couldn't just drop him. So they had to get him down safely. So this required a whole lot of work. So they had to believe their effort was going to be worth it. So yes, they had faith, but it wasn't. Well, somehow let's get Jesus' attention or we'll, we'll keep him out here until everybody files out of the house. And then, we'll, no, this was urgent. So after this great difficulty, they let him down on the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus seen their faith. Not the paralytic's faith, seeing the faith of the four men who brought him to Jesus. Seeing their faith said to the paralytic. Now the reason 
these four guys brought him and did all this work is so that their friend would no longer be a paralytic. But notice Jesus' first comment. Son, your sins are forgiven. But that's not why we got him here. But Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They weren't saying it out loud. They were thinking about it in thought. Why did this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. Now you will hear people who have no clue about the Bible, who said that they read it once, who say that except for the Gospel of John, that Jesus never declares himself to be the Son of God or to be God. You see, they never read even this part. Because this says, by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, states, I am God, I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. The scribes, who weren't willing at this point to bring it up, understood that in essence that was if Jesus didn't have the power to forgive sins and authority, that he blasphemed because he was making himself equal with God. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Notice that Jesus not only has the power and authority to heal, cast out demons, and do all sorts of things, he also knows what's in the hearts and minds of people. Which is a scary thought. Because when Jesus wanders around in the caverns of my mind, whoa. Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? He asked them a question. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or pick up your pallet and walk? Now, in the abstract, both are statements. It's easy to say either one. But in essence, Jesus is saying, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody knows the proof of it. But it's harder to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk, because those may be empty words if you don't pick up your pallet and walk. So Jesus says, ask them a question. Which is easier? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prove a point to you. I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up four days later. He got up immediately picked up the pallet, and went out in the, in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed 
and we're glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. A man who is broken, made whole. But more than that, his body was broken and made whole, but his soul was broken and made whole when Jesus forgave sins. So what does that have to do with us? A lot. Yes, Jesus has the power and authority to heal illnesses and disease. Jesus has the power and authority to cast out demons. Jesus has the power and authority to make those who are unclean clean. And Jesus has the power and authority to forgive sins. You and I may not be a paralytic. We may not have some life-threatening disease. We may not even be demonic-possessed. But each and every one of us are in need of forgiveness of sins. In today's culture, in today's world, we don't like to talk about sins. We'll change some of the old hymns from such a worm as I to such a sinner as I. And we don't even like that word, so we avoid some of the stuff. And so the new word that everybody uses, I've made mistakes. Coming to the conclusion that 2 plus 2 is 5 is a mistake. If you have four children and have no vehicle and buy a two-seater car, that's a mistake. If you buy a stock that you think is going to go up and actually goes down, that's a mistake. Sins are not mistakes. Sins are things like lying. Committing adultery. And then Jesus makes it even harder than that because he goes, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you, if you say you fool, you've committed murder, and you go, then who can escape such a judgment? So the truth is we have all not, well, we've all made mistakes, but we're also all sinners. And so what we need to come to the conclusion is two things. Am I a sinner? If you don't think so, you're lying to yourself. The second thing is, who has the power and authority to cleanse me from that? Jesus here, by his miracle of working, shows that he has the power and authority to forgive sins. Why do I believe that he has the power and authority to, to forgive sins? Have I seen him heal a paralytic? No, not directly. Have I seen him heal various diseases in the sense of we pray and whatever, but not laying on hands? But how I know that he has the power to forgive sins? Because he raised from the dead. Therefore, I can trust when he says, come to me, find rest and forgiveness of your sin. And when he does that, I no longer have to carry that burden 
of sin and shame any longer. We have this tendency as the person who was the leper to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Knowing that he can. But sometimes we're always not sure he is willing. And the scriptures tell us Jesus is always willing to forgive us of our sin. So we need to believe that once we've confessed our sin, that he is able to forgive us of our sin, and we no longer need to carry that burden any longer. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God. And when Jesus comes and forgives us of our sins, we should be amazed at that amazing grace. And we should glorify God. Not that I'm worthy to have been forgiven, but that he is merciful to forgive. And the sad thing is, we have never seen anything like this. Hopefully we see it daily. That people come to him seeking forgiveness of their sins. And he went out again by the seashore. And all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. You see, Jesus comes to us to have us forgive our sins. But Jesus doesn't leave us with just forgiving our sins. He continues to teach us and to develop us so that we might have a strong understanding of who he is, that our faith may be solid so that when we come to doubt, because we sin over and over and over, that we have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our sin. Because we know who he is. As much as we know his power and authority, we even know more who he is. So he continues to teach, even after revealing all that he can do. And so if you are not a believer, Jesus is still there saying, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. He is there to say to those who are a believer and who keep on messing up and making mistakes, and sinning, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. And for those who have got that firmly in place, we continue to be amazed and glorify God that my sins are forgiven. And all God's people said,